You are Locked On Rockets, your daily podcast on the Houston Rockets, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. The draft is almost here. On that note, welcome in to Locked on Rockets, the home for podcast discussion of Houston Rockets basketball. I'm your host, Ben DuBose, Rockets correspondent for Sports Talk 790, the team's official radio flagship. As we chat this Wednesday, we're just over 24 hours away from the NBA's annual draft on Thursday night. It could be a long night for the Rockets, who are not currently slated to pick until number 46 in the second round. We'll discuss their options there later in the program. But more than just the Rockets' selection, the reason the draft is a big date on the NBA calendar is that it serves as an impetus for movement around the league, both in terms of draft picks and sometimes deals that don't even involve draft picks or rarely do, as was the case Wednesday morning with the Charlotte Hornets and Brooklyn Nets striking a deal sending Dwight Howard to Brooklyn. Hilariously, six years after Dwight was dying to go there, he finally gets his wish, and the Nets sending Timothy Mozgov and a couple of second-round picks to Brooklyn, uh, or, or to Charlotte, I should say, for the rights to Dwight Howard, who essentially at this point is primarily seen as a $24 million expiring contract. Timothy Mozgov signed the same year as Ryan Anderson in July of 2016 when there was that huge bump in player salaries. Two years, almost $33 million left, has a bloated deal much like Ryan Anderson's, which is why that deal is so interesting from a Houston perspective. So on today's show, we will eventually get to pick 46, some of the Rockets' options there, and more importantly, the finances in play. But to lead off today's show, I'm going to look at some of the other things around the league, the landscape this week, which the draft could spur action on some of these items, and why, in my opinion, it could be critical when it comes to determining the future pursuits for the Rockets this summer. Of course, in the context of LeBron James, which is Plan A, but as well as potential Plan B, Plan C, Plan D, and so on down the line, should they not be fortunate enough to secure LeBron James's services. So let's start with the Dwight trade, because what's really interesting about this, as just mentioned, Timothy Mozgov has nearly the same deal that Ryan Anderson got. Both signed in July 2016. Moscow was four years, $64 million. Ryan was four years, $80 million. At this point, Ryan's is essentially a two-year, $40 million deal. Moscow, two years, $33 million. So Ryan's deal is slightly larger. However, there's also a difference in that Ryan is at least still a passable NBA rotation player. I don't think anyone sees Moscow as that. So what's really important to note, for all you hear about Ryan Anderson being potentially unmovable, that's silly. This is the second consecutive offseason that Mozgov has been moved. So it's not that the Rockets can't move Ryan Anderson. It's does it make sense for them to do so. For example, last summer, the asset to get Brooklyn to take on Mozgov was D'Angelo Russell. So the Lakers had to give a pretty useful piece to get Brooklyn to take on that contract. This year, the Nets are taking on Dwight Howard, which either gets the Hornets out of luxury tax territory entirely, or at the very least, it reduces their bill a good bit, since Dwight actually has a higher annual salary, about $24 million for one year, as opposed to $16 million a year for two years, the same way uh, that Ryan does in some of the constructions of deals we've seen here in Houston. The common theme is that there's a give and take, and last summer, the deal that was most frequently thrown out there 
was, of course, the Ryan Anderson for Carmelo Anthony potential. It's not that the Rockets couldn't move Ryan Anderson. It's that the upside of Carmelo Anthony was not worth the probable two first-round picks that it would take to move Ryan when he had three years and $60 million left on that contract. If the upside is LeBron James, I'm pretty confident it would be. So I think seeing Moscow move not once but twice, it's a good reminder that, no, the Ryan Anderson contract, it's not unmovable. It's just a question of, is the sweetener worth it for what you are getting in return? Last summer, I don't think it was, and I think ultimately the performance of Carmelo Anthony in Oklahoma City proved uh, that Gerald Morey was right and not willing to go to those lengths to make that transaction happen. However, it doesn't mean the Rockets would not go there this summer. Also, with Ryan being two years left rather than three, it's also possible that it would be easier to dump him this year than last year. Because at some point, when he's an expiring contract, he's actually going to become a positive asset around the league. Maybe next summer, but certainly I would say by the deadline of the 2019-2020 season. So the initial takeaway that, that I have is that it proves that, yes, Ryan Anderson is movable. There are teams with cap space that are willing to use some of that even before free agency if they get an asset that they view as advantageous to them long term. With the Hornets, it's getting under the tax. With the Nets, of course, it's positioning themselves to have two max slots in the summer of 2019. So if you can make it worth it, yes, teams are willing to use their cap space in advance. The other part of this that's really interesting to me, when you get into the nitty-gritty, the Nets did not really have to give that much to ditch the extra year of Moskov compared to Dwight. They traded two second-round picks, and not even particularly good second-round picks. Both are in the 40s, which is the range that teams every year are able to buy their way into, the same way the Warriors got Jordan Bell last year. So it's not like they're even giving up one first-rounder, let alone two, and you're not even giving up a particularly high second-round pick. Now, I understand that this was not a complete dump. If they were actually dumping Mozgov the way the Rockets might have to with Ryan in some of these trade considerations, maybe they would have had to have given up more pick assets than just two second-rounders in the 40s. But what it does show you, first, is that a contract like Mozgov or Ryan is movable. And second, there's a sliding scale to where if maybe the deal doesn't necessitate ditching the contract altogether, then maybe there's a path to where you can make a deal work without involving that many future firsts. Because in an ideal world, I think the Rockets, they realize that other than Clint Capella, it's generally an aging team. And of course, they don't want to give away first-round picks for the sake of giving them away. If you can keep those first-round picks, then it makes it all the easier to use them as sort of the bridge to a few years from now when Chris Paul is fading out and you have James Harden in his 30s. And of course, you're trying to build a contender for the final years of James Harden in Houston. And perhaps more realistically, because the picks would likely be late first round for the Rockets, as some of your current supporting cast, guys like Trevor Ariza, Luke Bamute, the types that are in their 30s, P.J. Tucker, fade out, maybe you can replace some of their production later in that first round, and so use that as a pipeline to your next generation of uh, role players. Perhaps that's a better analogy. But the point I want to get to is this. There might be a way if you can't have the ideal scenario work out of Ryan to a third team in a LeBron James deal, that you can move Ryan for an expiring contract and potentially it makes sense to upgrade your team without having to mortgage the farm in terms of giving up multiple future first-round picks to make that happen. Some of the teams with cap space, Phoenix has Tyson Chandler and Jared Dudley. 
the Nets have Jamari Carroll. There's some interesting names there. Or perhaps you even revisit the Carmelo Anthony scenario now that he is in Oklahoma City. Because proportionally, the Mozgov-Dwight Howard deal is very similar to what potentially a Ryan Anderson-Carmelo deal between the Rockets and Thunder could look like this summer. In terms of Ryan Anderson is about $10 million per year less. Actually, it's about $8 million a year less, but uh, the the same way that uh, Mozgov's about $8 million a year less than Dwight. So you would get savings in terms of the luxury tax for Oklahoma City based on the less, the reduced annual amount. But Houston would be able to make the math work by just throwing in a couple of minor salaries along with Ryan Anderson. And maybe the Rockets think that Carmelo Anthony could be a good change of scenery candidate alongside his good friend and Chris Paul, especially if you were willing to hypothetically take a bench role, that type of situation. And the Thunder with Russell Westbrook at 29 and signed to a Supermax deal, they're not looking to rebuild. They might be more open-minded to someone like a Ryan Anderson, who's sort of a win-now player and making a change of scenery bet the same way the Rockets might on Carmelo. Now, as I said I'm earlier, I'm grateful the Rockets ultimately did not get Carmelo last year because the cost it would have taken to get him, the future first-round picks, was not worth it. Worth it. But if you can get him without giving up the future first-round picks and move Ryan in the process, yeah, I would absolutely be very open to that. To be clear, I have not heard any rumors that either side, let alone both Houston or Oklahoma City, is interested in that. I'm just mentioning that as a parallel because when it comes to the Moskov-Dwight deal, a player just like Ryan signed in July 2016 with two years left on his massive bloated four-year deal, and in the case of Dwight and Carmelo, a veteran in the final year of an existing contract that's just way too large for most trades, you could see a potential fit there, and there's logic to where you could see both teams seeing a change of scenery as being viable. So while I've not heard it as a legitimate rumor, I'm not putting it out there as a possibility, I'm just mentioning it as something to keep in the back of your mind for options there may be if plan A, which is the pursuit of LeBron James, does not work out. And of course, it's not that the Moskov-Dwight deal is the only thing going on in the NBA. I just led with that because that's the one deal that's concrete. That's done. Some of the other rumors, that could tell you a lot, too, about the Rockets heading up to the draft. Most notably, what does Cleveland do with the number eight overall pick? If they think they have any hopes of uh, securing LeBron beyond this season, of keeping him in Cleveland, then in my opinion, they almost have to move that number eight pick before the draft because after the draft, it's too difficult. It's like having driven a new car off the lot. The value of the number eight pick is if you trade it beforehand so the team receiving it can have their pick of who they see as the top prospect. So maybe the Hornets, who appear to be doing somewhat of a sell-off after moving Dwight, would they potentially move Kimball Walker in a deal for the number eight pick? Would Cleveland be receptive to that? And then is Kimball Walker enough to get LeBron to stay there? I don't know, but it certainly could help at least give Cleveland a case. In my opinion, it's going to be very interesting to watch Cleveland with that number eight pick because if they use it, in my opinion, LeBron's gone and they're building for the future. If they trade it, I don't think it's a given that he comes back, but it's at least showing you that they plan to make an effort. And if that's the case, it might be all the harder to convince them within eight days to do a trade, which is what the Rockets need to do with a potential opt-in deal, the same way they got Chris Paul last summer, which of course has the benefit if you do the opt-in, you are not subjected to the hard salary cap, which would 
allow the Rockets not only to get LeBron James, but also retain most of their current supporting cast, Chris Paul, Clint Capella, Trevor Ariza, those types that are free agents, on top of bringing in LeBron James. So now let's transition into the fun stuff, which is the pursuit of LeBron James, which, as reported by Adrian Wojnarowski of ESPN earlier this week, is far from dead. Adrian Wojnarowski of ESPN, speaking on one of ESPN's draft programs on Monday night, said that Chris Paul essentially is pursuing LeBron James as hard as he has pushed for anything in his NBA career, said that Chris essentially is more interested in LeBron's free agency than his own because Chris considers returning to Houston to be an inevitability, as we would all expect, coming off a 65-win season that, in all likelihood, would have ended in a championship if not for uh, CP3's ill-timed hamstring injury in Game 5 of the Western Conference Finals. We discussed in Sunday's show the alleged sightings of LeBron James around Houston the prior few days, Never got the smoking gun in terms of a picture or video or anything of those of that magnitude. But as I told you guys then, I have every reason to believe that he was, in fact, here. Now, how much of it was truly looking around versus one of his son's basketball tournaments? I'm not sure. And even if he was looking around, there have been similar reports in Los Angeles, Philadelphia. So I'm sure he's doing his due diligence other places as well. So I don't think it's a huge tell in terms of, oh, LeBron is moving closer to Houston. And then even if he does pick Houston, think A, he's got to sell his family on the idea and B, he's got to make Cleveland amenable to doing a deal. But ultimately, I do think it shows that Houston is at least in the conversation as we head into late June. And that's about as much as you could ask for. And for the Rockets in particular, the big date to keep in mind is Friday, because from this Friday, the 22nd, until next Friday, the 29th, that is actually LeBron's deadline to opt in, that is when the window is open, in my opinion, for a deal to be struck. And here's why. As of today, Wednesday, the only future first-round picks the Rockets can include would be 2020 and 2022. That's because of the rule in the NBA that does not allow you to trade future picks in consecutive years. And right now, the Rockets do not have a 2018 first-rounder. They dealt theirs in the Chris Paul trade last year. So the earliest the Rockets can deal a pick would be 2020, which is essentially three drafts away, and the next one, 2022, which is five drafts away. Well, as of Friday... It changes because after this draft passes, essentially everything resets and the Rockets do have all of their first round draft picks moving forward, which means that after this draft passes, the Rockets can trade their 2019 first, which is a lot more attractive than picks that are three, five drafts down the road. So to me, in terms of making a deal work for the Cavs, potentially moving Ryan Anderson to a third team in scenarios like we discussed earlier. Future first-round picks are perhaps your second-best commodity. Now, I'd say your best commodity is still Eric Gordon, very quality player, 29 years old, great contract. But that in and of itself is probably not enough to make the math work for LeBron James. Certainly, Gordon's contract, $13 million a year, is nowhere near LeBron opting in for 35. So you'd have to throw in Ryan Anderson or some other combination, and the odds are you'd have to throw in some uh, assets to make that worthwhile for whatever team is taking those guys. But beyond that, if you want to make a complicated deal work, it can't just be Eric Gordon. And beyond Eric, who is a quality player, the next most lucrative assets for the Rockets are those first-round picks. And when you can trade 
any combination of them moving forward, including 2019, which is the very next draft, that's a big deal. The Rockets can't do that right now. They can on Friday. So in my opinion, that's why I would say the rumor mill has been especially quiet involving the Rockets, because right now, they can't really make a firm offer. Now they can make a firm offer and say, hey, after the draft, we can complete this. But right now, you're seeing a lot more discussion about teams with picks this week and deals that could theoretically be consummated now. The Rockets aren't one of those teams. On Friday, they will be. So if we get past Friday or get past Thursday and to Friday without a lot of major movement, with all the big names still on the board, of course, LeBron James, you can throw Paul George in there. You can throw potential 2019 free agents, Jimmy Butler, Kawhi Leonard, those types as well. If we get past Thursday with all the big names on the board, then the Rockets are a lot closer to parity from an asset standpoint. So if things stay quiet through Thursday, to me, that is a very good sign because then starting Friday, the Rockets can really go big game hunting with their offers. Also, as stated earlier, watch what Cleveland does with that number eight pick. Do they move it for someone like a Kimball Walker for the rebuilding situation, or from the rebuilding situation, I should say, in Charlotte? Or do they keep it and draft the best prospect available, which could lead them into the next generation? That's probably going to tell you a lot in terms of Cleveland's thought process, whether they think they have a reasonable chance to retain LeBron. Ultimately, if they keep that pick, in my opinion, it's good for the Rockets because it shows that they're probably thinking that it's a long shot for them. And at that point, it makes it more likely that maybe they're open-minded to doing a deal, as opposed to if you, if you make a deal for immediate help, you may see them drawing a harder line and trying to push this into July and seeing if they can make a case to keep him. And that's the last point I want to make on LeBron James. Every day I get questions about the timing. Would the Rockets still pursue him in July? Because there have been a few reports speculating that maybe because there's no clear avenue for LeBron, Rockets the closest thing in terms of a shot at a title, but there's obviously no easy salary cap route there for the Rockets to get a max contract for LeBron in Houston. So you've seen some speculation about maybe LeBron dragging this into July. And I'm asked frequently, would the Rockets pursue him in free agency via a sign and trade? I don't believe that to be the case. I think the Rockets will go all out once that window opens Friday until the next Friday. And if it doesn't happen, they will move on. We saw this in 2014, the last time LeBron was truly an open-minded free agent. The Rockets in June made it clear they wanted a meeting with him. They didn't get it before ultimately he went back to Cleveland. So they moved on the, down their priority list to Chris Bosh, who they almost had before infamously we know what happened with Miami caving at the last minute, offering him the fifth year, yada yada. If LeBron wants Houston, and you better believe that Chris Paul is recruiting him, as mentioned earlier, the Rockets will communicate the benefits to LeBron of opting in and trading. Because if he does that, then you are able to retain Chris Paul, Clint Capella, Trevor Ariza, your current supporting cast that helped you win 65 games, on top of the big three of LeBron, CP3, and Harden. That's what gives you the best chance to win a title. And if LeBron goes to Houston, that's what it's going to be about. So no, I don't see him dragging it into July if he wants to go to Houston because he knows that the best way to build a title contender in Houston around him is for him to opt in. I see a lot of people characterizing it as though the Rockets are asking LeBron to do them a favor, that this opting in is just for the benefit of Daryl Morey. 
No, it's for the benefit of LeBron. If LeBron picks Houston, it's because he wants to win a ring, and the best opportunity for the Rockets to do that is if he opts in so that they're not subjected to a hard salary cap. So I don't see the timing being a problem. If LeBron doesn't reach a decision by next Friday, June 29th, then it's because he's not interested in Houston. He wants to go somewhere else. So, no, I do not see the Rockets and LeBron pursuit dragging into July. I think the Rockets, with Chris Paul, have probably already given LeBron a sense of their timing. And now, after the draft passes and the Rockets are able to move all their first-round picks and potential offers involving the Cavs and any prospective third and fourth teams, we'll see if that's where LeBron wants to go and if the Cavs are amenable to playing ball. If they're not, we'll see the Rockets move on down the list to uh, secondary targets. Now, to close things out, let's go a little smaller scale and talk about tomorrow's draft, which right now has the Rockets with the number 46 overall pick in the second round. I did a segment late last week on player possibilities, or more so position, because it's kind of pointless to go too in-depth on the potential player fits when there's 45 picks in front of you. But in general, my guess is that the Rockets, in an ideal world, would love to add to their backcourt with this second-round pick, because they've got a pretty decent young pipeline up front. Isaiah Hartenstein, Joe Chi, Chinanu Anuaku, all bigs with varying skill sets who can play the five. You want offense, you want defense, you want versatility. Between those three guys, I think you feel like you have three pretty decent lottery tickets. Maybe one of those, or even more if you get lucky, pan out. Or at the very least, they might be seen as marginal assets in a trade for one of the big names that we discussed earlier in this show. Where the Rockets have not had a lot of success in terms of the young pipeline is in the backcourt. And we saw that a lot this past year, in that the Rockets are in a very unique situation with three big names right now, Chris Paul, James Harden, Eric Gordon, in your backcourt. Because when healthy, all 96 minutes at the guard spots are spoken for. And because of that, it's pretty tough to lure veteran free agents to Houston for that fourth guard spot. We saw the Rockets go after Jameer Nelson a couple of times. But it's tough to lure a guy with options, especially if you also don't have a lot of money, into a role in which he may not play. Yet at the same time, injuries happen, and those are only three bodies, and if one of those happens to have an issue, like what happened with Chris Paul a few times this past year, including in the Western Conference Finals, you can get pretty thin in a hurry. And the Rockets, they did have Gerald Green slide down and play some of those guard minutes, but he's unable to really help you out as a ball handler. You don't want Gerald Green bringing the ball up the court or serving as a primary ball handler in a pick-and-roll scenario. The Rockets could use one more backcourt guy to kind of be behind those big three in case of injury. I think they'd, in an ideal world, like for it to be a veteran, but if it's tough to get a veteran to sign on the the dotted line for reasons of lack of money and lack of role, then you may have to develop that that candidate internally. And that's potentially what the Rockets could use this pick for. So you look at second round draft prospects at the guard spots, potentially in that range, Grayson Allen out of Duke, Javon Carter out of West Virginia, Keenan Evans out of Texas Tech, the two guards out of Kansas, Devontae Graham and Malik Newman, both could be possibilities. It's Tony Carr out of Penn State. There's a ton of options you have that could potentially fit. But in an ideal world, I think that's where the Rockets would go, more ball handling rather than another body up front. Now, 3 and D could also be a spot here. You could never have enough 3 and D wings 
against the Warriors, but ultimately we've seen a little more track record in recent years with three and D types. Think Robert Covington being found outside of the draft as opposed to ball handlers. If you want a guy that's skilled enough to handle the ball in a pick and roll setting, it's tougher to find them. Not impossible. Look at Fred Van Vliet up in Toronto, but generally... I think you have a little more of a track record finding undrafted 3 and D guys. So if it's close, I could see the Rockets wanting to add to the backcourt here. That said, Daryl Morey will always go best player available. So if it's a 3 and D or even if it's a big body, if Daryl sees it by far as the best player and or the best asset, then he'll throw position fit out the window and do what he thinks is best for the team. It's just if things are close, my guess is they look at those guards and potentially try and develop internally what they couldn't find externally, that fourth guard that could potentially be a fit beyond the big three of Paul, Harden, and Gordon moving forward, especially as we get towards Chris Paul's mid-30s and the need to give him maintenance becomes only more pronounced as he enters his final, what, four to six years in the NBA in all likelihood. The other thing that's intriguing with the draft and the Rockets this year is finances. I think the Rockets are going to be a lot more open than they have been in the past to the full range of prospects. A lot of times this decade, we've seen them go the international route, and not always because they thought they were just the best player, but because they thought it was the best combination of player and potential, well, or more so immediate cap impact. Because Donatus Yunus, Isaiah Hartenstein, Jochi... Clint Capella. Now, some of these guys did end up coming over in year one, but the common theme with all of them is that the Rockets on draft night at least had the option. Having that flexibility was important to potentially leave them in Europe or wherever they were playing, because that way, if they needed to go under the cap to make a marquee acquisition in free agency, they were not bound contractually to anything for those players. There was a way in which you could retain their rights without putting them on your, your books for that season. This year, I think that's less important because as we've discussed in this podcast and really the entire month of June, I find it very unlikely that the Rockets, if not impossible, pursue under-the-cap routes in free agency because there's no way you can retain the existing supporting cast, the guys like Chris Paul, Clint Capella, Trevor Ariza, etc. The Rockets are going to operate at an above-cap rate, which makes it less important to micromanage every single dollar that is on your books. So I do think that makes them maybe a little more open-minded this year than in the past to NCAA prospects that potentially would be on your books this summer. Now, that's not to say that international guys are off the board. Certainly, if they're the best player available, more will go that route. And even financially, there are still some advantages to the potential stash route. With second-round picks, because there's no guaranteed salary slot like there is for a first-rounder, if you want to lock yourself in, if you're the team and want to get the player on a friendly long-term deal, if you really like what they bring to the table and you don't want to risk them signing the tender to keep their draft rights, you have to offer them a tender of the minimum contract, and ultimately, if they choose to bet on themselves and sign that, like KJ McDaniels, um, famously did a few years ago in Philadelphia, then potentially you're looking at a scenario where after a year or two, they could leave you for no compensation, or even that year, if you don't put them on the roster. And at that point, if the player leaves you very young, then you're almost wasting the asset to a large degree. Just look at what limited value the, Rock, uh, the, the Sixers got from the Rockets during the whole KJ McDaniels fiasco a few years back. 
so the bottom line is that you do need at least some route to make it work financially. For example, last summer, the Rockets did not use their entire non-tax mayor mid-level exception on P.J. Tucker. They saved a small part of it for Joe Chi. So if the Rockets are concerned about finances, if they think they might need every dollar of their taxpayer MLE this summer for the external guys they would go after, if they think there's a possibility that one of these guys that they're looking at might sign for the, or might take the tender and thus be a flight risk after a year or two, then at that point, maybe you do still consider the international route for cap benefits. But generally speaking, it's not the same pressure as when you are potentially worried about going under the salary cap and needing every last dollar or potential dollar that is for flexibility. I think the Rockets, they enter this summer a lot more confident that they're going to be an over-the-cap team than in prior years, and so I think that has them more open-minded going to the draft. Sure, it could be international players if those are the best available, but I think also NCAA players who would be looking for a contract this summer to play this coming season, whereas that's a no-go for the Rockets in some years for salary cap reasons, I think going into tomorrow night, if those are the best players available, I don't think there's any hesitation for Gerald Morey and the Rockets, and maybe they even buy more second-round picks because it's worth noting that they have not really used their $5 million cash allotment this year for trades, and we see last year, look how the Warriors got Jordan Bell. Maybe that's a possibility for the Rockets. Also, it wouldn't floor me if they were able to get up into the late first round because the first round, with those agreed-to structured contracts for four years, those are extremely team-friendly. So if there's a guy the Rockets like late in the first and they could get up there... I think they would be very open to it. Now, saying that and doing it are two different things. I don't expect the Rockets to give up future first-round picks to move into the first round, and that may be a deal-breaker because that's what most teams are looking for when they move out. But if the Rockets theoretically could package 46 with a Hartenstein or a Joe Chi, some marginal prospect like that, to get into the late first, that wouldn't shock me to see them go down that road either because it would give them even more contract, contract stability. Excuse me. So the bottom line, as far as the finances are concerned, it's not that they're unimportant for the Rockets as they evaluate potential second-round additions, but I would say it's slightly less important than prior years, which is why, in my opinion, you'll see the Rockets a little more aggressive. They could go after college players more than they have in the past, and you could even see them look to pick up additional picks if it makes sense for them, because they do have cash available to buy if there's a prospect that they really like. Anyway, that'll put a bow on this episode. Don't want to go too far into the draft possibilities because when you're picking it at 46, there are so many possibilities based on how things go in front of you, what else happens around the league. So it'd be a waste of time to uh, go too in-depth on this and especially any player possibilities based on the wide range of things that could happen before then. As far as what actually happens... We'll have that for you on Friday. I doubt we'll have a breakdown immediately after the draft on Thursday night because I'm not going to sit here and pretend that I've done advanced scouting on the 50 million players that are possibilities in the second round. Let's be realistic here. So I would say after Thursday, I'll start looking into their backgrounds a little more. I'll see if there's an interview I can dig up, if not with the player, perhaps with someone who's covered them in college, and then we'll talk more on Friday about who the Rockets bring in. 
what they could potentially bring to them this season and beyond, and of course what else happens around the league on draft night and where it leaves the Rockets as the window opens, as explained earlier, starting this Friday, and they can trade all their future first-round picks in the pursuit of LeBron James or any other big free agent this summer. So for now, that's where we can leave off. Uh, if you want any more content in the interim, the best place to get it is on Twitter. I'm on there at Ben DuBose. The show is on there at Lockdown Rockets. Also, if you want more ways to get content or ask questions, the best place is website, LockdownRockets.com, email at LockdownRockets at gmail.com, Facebook account at facebook.com slash Rockets. Always, again, ask questions about the team, access our content, make suggestions for the show, advertising inquiries. If we can make this a better podcast or news source for you, the diehard Rockets fan, would absolutely love to hear from you. Also, with this being the breaking news season, there's so much that could happen over the next week to 10 days involving the Rockets. If you want news the second it comes out, besides being on Twitter, subscribe to the podcast and so you'll get an alert right when the next episode is ready. iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, Megaphone, wherever you listen to your podcast, the odds are we are on there. We've got a great network of shows across the Lockdown Podcast Network, which helps with placement. Just subscribe to us and also leave us a five-star review while you're there. That's how we make the business model work, look attractive to future advertisers, and make the economics work as the most regular podcast covering Houston Rockets basketball. So for today, I will sign off and we'll talk again very soon right here at Lockdown Rockets, your home for regular discussion of Houston Rockets basketball.